0: So, Roger, if you don't know Roger, was the lead pastor here for 18 years, is still an elder here in this church, and we asked, could you please share something with us today? And he's ready to go. Let's go. Man, Thanks, bro. <laughs> good morning, family. So good to be with you. I get jittery and excited when I think, when I'm driving in on Sunday mornings, because I love this place, and I love this, the people, and, um... I've been doing a lot of traveling, so you will uh, often see me in and out, uh, way more traveling than I anticipated this year, and I'm spending my days these days helping uh, leaders, missionaries, ministers, uh, just discern the movement of God in their life and help them to finish well. We uh, We need godly men and women who will finish well, right? Not everybody finishes well. We want to finish well the race that we have. And so um, I serve on the U.S. board for 24-7 prayer. And and God's doing a new thing and 24-7 prayer movement around the world. It's beautiful and other uh, nonprofits as well. But it is you, this community more than any other that I carry in my heart everywhere I go. And I'm with other communities and I hear their stories and hear their testimonies and hear their struggles. And, and you know, I'm just jealous for you. I'm excited because this culture that we, we've all benefited from and, and I benefit from and I get to go and and I just get to talk about what a beautiful place this is. We're not perfect, but it's, it's a place where uh, people who really are hungry for God and want to grow in him can experience true life transformation, as Kim said. Amen? So I'm grateful. And I'm grateful for the faithfulness of those who are leading this community now. Uh, guile and jano and anna and holly and zach and shelly and luke and israel all of them and the others dan can can we give these guys just a, a hand to say thank you i am i'm just so encouraged uh, linda and brian um uh, christina all of it so the list goes on so um wow i want to talk to you today about loving your enemy anybody notice an uptick in things like i don't know war global violence bloodshed hatred I mean, is it me or does social media seem less social than when we first began? Right? Has politics gotten more civil or crazier? It's crazy, right? It seems like there are more people who have more enemies than ever before. And so we've got wars um, in all kinds of places... I don't know if this works, but I'm going to test it. There's no thing here, but it's on, so we'll see. Um, And then closer to home, you know, I I just notice there's, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety kind of in the air, you know. I have friends who, some of whom are in ministry, who, I kid you not, have arsenals in their house. And I mean like... I'm talking arsenals. And they're loaded with weapons for, I don't know, Armageddon, terrorists, you know, zombie, apocalypse, whatever, you know, their thing is. And uh, this is not a political statement about guns, so don't don't get mad at me. I know where I live. I'm in Oklahoma. All right? But if we're not careful as Christ followers of Jesus... Christ followers of Jesus. Christ followers who live in America, which is to the rest of the world kind of like living in the Wild West anyway. If we're not careful, we can drift from the central message of the gospel to a different gospel. And there's a tension that exists, I believe, in America today uniquely. Robeson Jeffers in the last century, describes the problem like this. Ooh. Oh, no, it did work. Did I do that? No, I didn't. Are you doing it, Sam? It's all me? Thank you. All right. <laughs> Dang. All right. It's me. He says this. We obey, in fact, consciously or not, two opposed systems of morality. We believe in the Christian virtues, universal love, self-abnegation, which means self-denial, Humility, non-resistance, but we believe also as individuals and as nations in the pagan virtues of our ancestors, justice with its corollary vengeance, pride and personal honor, will to power, patriotic readiness to meet force with force. Our conduct almost always compromises between these contradictory moralities. Anybody ever feel this tension? Living in America, in this day and hour, it is baked into our culture, people. More humorously, Mark Twain describes it this way in uh, Huckleberry Finn. Huck asks his friend Buck, Buck, what's a feud? He says, why, where was you raised? Don't you know what a feud is? Never heard of it before. Tell me about it. Well, a feud is this way. A man has a quarrel with another man and kills him. And then that other man's brother kills him. Then the other brothers on both sides go for one another. Then the cousins chip in and by and by, everybody's killed off and there ain't no more feud. But it's kind of slow and it takes a long time. Can somebody say there's a lot of feuding going on right now? (laughs) Should I just keep this accent and preach my whole sermon like this? Yeah, Yeah, come on, y'all. Little foghorn leghorn going on. (laughs) I see, I see it. uh. So, (laughs) I'm not here to do impressions. I'm sorry, but. (laughs) <laughs> don't quit my day job so thought it might be a good idea in light of all that's going on in the world in light of all that's happening in our culture to talk about the command of Christ that sums up the whole of scripture we, usually we, when we talk about that we think of the, the great commandment to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself and, and you're not wrong we hear that all the time but what What I don't hear as much is Jesus' command to love your enemies. Which we will see in a minute is going to be the highest expression of loving God and loving your neighbor. You see, it's interesting that for the first 300 years of Christianity, in the time of Constantine, when thousands upon thousands of Christians were being persecuted, executed... Jesus' command to love your enemy was the most quoted scriptural passage by the church fathers and mothers. So let's begin in Matthew 5, verse 43. Jesus says this. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said, love your enemy, love your neighbor, excuse me, and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This first part of the quote is from Leviticus 19, 18. We recognize it because Jesus taught about it often. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is, it is the, the great commandment, part of loving God. You cannot love God with your whole heart and not love your neighbor. And Jesus wanted to inculcate that into the culture of his Jewish people, reminding them what life is meant to be God's design for us. Love for for God and your neighbor was central to Jesus' vision for how to be human. Jesus lays out example after example in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be angry. Don't, don't go lusting after stuff. Don't, don't uh, retaliate. Don't divorce. Let's we, we have to learn how to love God. And it begs the question, well, who is my neighbor? People would often ask Jesus this question because a lot's at stake. I mean, we all want to know, who do I have to love and who do I not have to love so much? Right? And, and who do I not have to worry about? How would you answer this question? Who is your neighbor? Is it the person next door? Is it... You know, your circle of friends, your family, your co-workers. Is it Tulsans? You see, most people in Jesus' day would have answered, well, it's other Jewish people and that I live by and I like. Sounds familiar. It's the people I live by and the people I like. Usually that's kind of how we subconsciously answer the question. And thus the second half of the quote... Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the second part of this quote is not in the Bible. The theory is that it was a Jewish idiom that had kind of come into, you know, uh, just the popular culture. You know, like we just say it. Oh, you know, love your enemy and hate your neighbor. Or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I can't get it straight anyway. (laughs) You know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Right? So Jesus goes on to say, but I tell you, in verse 44, I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. When he says, but I say to you or but I tell you, that's a, that's a rabbinic teaching method that simply says, look, you've heard it said this way, but I'm telling you what is true. I'm telling you a different way of living, which is to say you think a command means this, but actually it means this. I'm telling you, love your enemies as well as your neighbors and pray for those who persecute. Jesus' interpretation of Leviticus 19 and the command to love your neighbor is to love your enemy. It's about how do I make an enemy into a neighbor through the medium of love. The word for enemy is the Greek word ekthron. Can you say that? Ekthron. It's a wide-sweeping word that means any and all people you don't get along with. So it's everyone from personal enemies to political enemies, meaning an enemy of America or Western civilization or Christianity. All right? So it's important that we know who Jesus is talking to. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus says, Love your enemy, it's single, singular. But when he I mean, <laughs> love your neighbor. I cannot not say that. Love your neighbor. Your neighbor is singular. It's like love that person specifically, right? When he says hate your, uh, love your enemy, man. When he says love your enemy, he's being, he's using the plural. Meaning, I want you to love all your enemies. Your personal enemies. I want you to love your your national enemies. I want you to love your political enemies. I want you to love them all. And so there's this shift in verse uh, 43 and 44. As if Jesus is saying, okay, you need to love them all. You can't selectively choose to love some enemies and not others. It's the whole enchilada. All right? Now let's take a minute because... This is kind of disorienting. And part of that is because in our culture, we only have one word for the word love, right? It's just one word. So we can love everything from God to tacos, right? I mean, it's all inclusive. So we get a little disoriented. It's the same word that can mean a lot of different things. And some of us, when we think love, we have this idea, well, does does Jesus mean that I have to Tolerate everyone? Do, do I have to have tolerance for everyone, which is a loaded word these days? And and does that mean like if there's injustice or evil or violence or impre- uh, oppression, I have to have you know tolerance? And and some people think well, it, it's a bit more of a, a romantic idea. In other words, that that I have to really have these warm fuzzy feelings for my enemies. You know, towards someone that I don't like. Like Jesus is just saying, feel and think happy thoughts about your enemy. About, you know, think happy thoughts about Putin. Or think happy thoughts about Hamas. Or whoever your enemy is. Right? This is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying. The word in Greek, we know the word, right? What is it? Agape. Agape is more than anything. um, There are all sorts of words for love in the Greek language. But agape, more than anything, is the love of the will. It was when you would bend your will to the good of another person, even if it's above your own well-being. Even if it comes at great cost to you. One commentator defines agape as the unconquerable, benevolence, invincible goodwill. It is you willing the good of your enemy. I love Scott McKnight's definition of agape. He says, agape love is a rugged commitment to be with somebody as someone who's for that person's good. Like your agenda is that person's thriving. And and I love that last line. It's key. To love them unto God's formative person to partner with God, to love them into the man or woman that God created them to be all along. To love them unto God's formative person. When we engage in the command and when we obey Jesus' command to love our enemies, we are setting something in motion that allows them the opportunity to be formed by God's love. We're setting something in motion that allows our hearts to be formed by God's love, right? So, <clears throat> to love your enemy is not to wink at their behavior. It's not to tolerate it or have war- warm, fuzzy feelings. It's not, you know, to act like, you know, Evil or injustice or oppression or manipulation or or, uh, abuse is like, hey, no big deal, let's just be nice to each other. That's not it. It's not what Jesus is saying. Often the most loving thing you can do is call out evil behavior. To say that is wrong. That is injustice. That is a lie. And to do whatever you can to put a stop to it as much for yourself as for them. But never with violence or hate or judgmentalism, but rather with nonviolence and even more than that with what we call enemy love. If not for their own good, for their behavior, you know, for the very fact that they are made in the image of God, right? So then we have to ask, "Well, how in the world do we do this?" And I think before we ask that question, maybe a better question is simply to, to ask this question: What kind of person do I have to become to be able to love my enemy? What kind of person?" Do I need to become in order to be able to look my enemy in the eye and to love them and to will their good? Which is what Jesus tells us before before he tells us what to do in the Sermon on the Mount. He tells us what kind of people kingdom people look like, right? What kind of people are kingdom people? The kind of people that could love their enemies if they had enemies. And so we go back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at how Jesus describes the kingdom and the people who live in that kingdom. What are they? Poor in spirit. Right? Which means I can't love my enemies in my own strength. Right? People who know how to mourn. Which means we don't, we don't gloat, we don't, you know, we, we, we carry the heaviness and the weight of this. It me, it, it's people who are meek, which means to be strong, but yet have that strength under control. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, man, we want to do this the right way. We want to walk this out as rightly as we can. People who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers... People who are persecuted, insulted, and have all kinds of evil things said about them falsely on account of Christ. Does that sound like the kind of person who might be able to love their enemies? Yeah. So maybe the trick is, and Jesus is so wise, is to focus first on seeking first the kingdom. Seeking first those kingdom qualities so that you will be blessed and so that you will have become the kind of person who is free to love both enemy and neighbor, to be poor in spirit, to be mournful, to be meek, to be hungry for righteousness, to be merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, willing to suffer. But again, the question is begged, how do we practically do this? So let's go back to our passage. Jesus gives us the first step to becoming the kind of Jesus-y people that can love our enemies. In verse 44, he says this, But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be like your Father in heaven, since he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Notice the connection, so that you may... Be like your Father in heaven. Being and doing. Right? Practically, what can we do? Well, how about we start by praying for our enemies? Right? And by pray, what I don't mean is, Lord, smite my enemy! Crush his bones! grind his teeth, right? I mean, you could pray that. But why don't we pray for them to know God's love, to be overtaken by kindness, to be overcome with good. Pray for their healing. Pray for their transformation. Because when we pray for our enemies, Jesus says, we are becoming like our Father in heaven. Jesus implies that he actually loves your enemies. God loves your enemies. God bless you. Now, that begs another question. How do we know that God wants the good of my enemies? How do we know he doesn't want me praying down fire from heaven on these heathen? I mean, after all, There are plenty of good Old Testament prayers that do this, right? I mean, Psalm 139. You know, we love Psalm 139. We quote it. You know, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But in Psalm 139, it says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? I hate them with complete hatred. I mean, that's real hate. And while that's true, friends, we have to understand that when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus becomes our hermeneutic. He becomes the way that we interpret and see all other scriptures because he reveals more than anyone the heart of the Father, right? He becomes the new operating system. So that all that has gone before gets reframed through Jesus' heart and life and intention. And Jesus says that the, the one way we know God's heart for our enemies is simply by looking around us at nature. Look at the verse in 45. He says, since he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the who? The unrighteous. We know we're to be good like our Father who does good even to those who are evil. He doesn't whitewash the evil, friends. But he overcomes the evil with good. I love what one commentator, Dale Bruner, says about this. He says, Jesus' command is not asking his disciples to do anything that God is not himself doing daily. The good get no more good weather than the evil. Okay? So I checked the weather last night in a few places. Right now, Moscow, 30s and 40s. Kind of like here. Not too bad. Tehran... Now, that's the place to be, 60s and 70s, all week. Pyongyang, North Korea, 70s, all week. Going to be a great week in Pyongyang. No tsunami, no tornadoes, nothing. Just good weather. Some rain. Some of God's goodness every day on all our enemies. He goes on to say... God's maturity is so great that God gives himself in his world as generously to the bad as he does to the good. Think about that, friends. God's family is asked to be no less fair, no less magnanimous, no less expansive. In God's single greatest act of self-disclosure ever, greater even than his continuous acts of creation. God loved his enemy his enemy world so much that he gave it his own son. God, the cross teaches us supremely, is the greatest enemy lover of all time. Paul says it this way, that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. In the parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, the writer gives us a couple of more practical steps. He says this, But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Amen? Earlier in verse 35 of Luke 6, Jesus says that when we love our enemies, he says our reward will be great and we, once again, will be sons and daughters of the Most High. There it is. Being and doing. This is not something we just do, but friends, this is the the deepest formative work that God wants to do in you, is to help you become the kind of person who can love their enemies into neighbors. There's great reward. What, What kind of reward could possibly come out of loving our enemies? Well, for one thing, there could be reconciliation. There could be less bloodshed right? Externally, there's tons of rewards, but think about it internally. Often our enemies carry great power and authority over us, don't they? Over our thinking and our feeling. We can even become obsessed with our enemies. Anybody obsessed with your enemies? I mean, from Facebook stalking to, you know, watching the news every moment of every hour because you have to know where your enemies are at all times and what they're up to. But when we pray and when we act in the opposite spirit, one of the ways we're rewarded, friends, is that we are free. We're free to love indiscriminately, boldly, courageously. What does that look like? Jesus goes on in Matthew 5. Back to Matthew 5. And he says, for if you love those who love you and reward, what reward do you have, right? I mean, there is reward in loving those who love us. But he goes on to say, even the tax collectors do the same. I mean, these guys were the worst of the worst. And they know how to love, you know, people who love them. But if you only greet your brothers, what more do you do? Even the Gentiles do the same, don't they? One writer says that only loving those who love you is, in the, is what he calls in-group selfishness of cliquishness. <laughs> right? Which means basically you're in middle school. <laughs> All right? You're a middle school follower of Christ. Jesus is simply suggesting, friends... This is not rocket science, he says. Just start small. Maybe just greet your neighbor. Maybe just say hi. How about you begin with some kindness? Kill them with kindness. All right? Just acknowledge their presence. Maybe if the Lord gives you grace and it's, you know, they're, they're, you know it's not toxic or unsafe for you to do so, engage with them. Try to have a conversation. Let them know you care in some tangible and practical way. Look for opportunities to bless them. Now, I've spent the last few minutes just trying to help encourage you to think about this command in a new way. And how it it might impact you and impact our world. And for Jesus, he gives us finally this one last uh, bit, which is kind of like the summation, the command. It says, so then be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) It's it's almost like he's saying, good luck with this. (laughs) Go for it. You got this. Do it. Just be be perfect at it. The word's hard for us to translate in English. It's actually the word teleos, which if you're a philosopher major, you will know that word. Teleology means what is the end goal? The teleology is where are are we going with this? (laughs) Jesus is kind of saying, guys, this is where we're going. Loving your enemy, being able to love your enemy, this is where we're going. This is where you're headed. Dallas Willard says that the ability to love others well, especially your enemies, is the true test of emotional and spiritual maturity. This is it, friends. For Jesus, love is the litmus test. This is why faith works through what? Love. Faith only works through love. And our call, friends, today is to grow and mature into the kind of people who can turn enemies into neighbors through love. Amen? Now, I know for some of you who have very active minds, this raises a lot of questions. You know, you probably have a a list of running questions. You know, what about self-defense, right? What about home intruders? What about just war theory or real evil in the world, right? Trust me, this teaching will bring up a lot of questions, and that's good. I encourage you to take those questions to the Lord. And if you still can't answer them, feel free to direct them all to Guile. (laughs) He will help you. His email is, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That ain't right. I do think they're looking at maybe addressing this down the road a little bit because it does raise a lot of questions. But the most important question is this. Can this actually work in the real world? And the answer is absolutely. And the reason I know is because you all are living proof. You were once enemies of God. And he loved you into the kingdom. He loved you into wholeness. He loved you into family. And through Jesus' generous and daring and self-sacrificial, nonviolent, cross-shaped love, you are no longer enemies because that is what the Father is like. If you're here deciding whether or not you even want to follow Jesus today, you're like, whew, that's a tall order. It's okay. Start with your neighbor, right? It's all right. Does this work? Yes. And sometimes you will witness amazing, beautiful, powerful things that come out of those who are willing to love their enemies. But I have to say to you that throughout our history as a, as a body of Christ, that sometimes it may cost you your very life. Which is what it cost Jesus and some of his disciples. It's what cost Dr. Martin Luther King and many others who have made this command the benchmark of what it means to follow jesus and so i i don't say that to to scare you away i just say that because this way is so radical friends could you imagine if the church in america lived this out it's so countercultural that it actually does become a threat to the powers that be to governments, and to to world powers. So in one sense, yes, it does work, right? In another sense, it may be very costly. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter if it works or not. This is the call of Jesus to all of us in the room because this is the way of Jesus, this is what it means to follow Jesus. So, as we close today, we're going to do I want you to do two things. I want you to close your eyes and I want you just to think for a minute. Who are your enemies? And I want you to just <laughs> I'm not going to make you shout them out, don't worry. But I do want you to be honest. Right now in your life, who are your enemies? Could be political enemies. Could be enemies of Christianity, of your faith. Could be a nation. Could be a political group could be the opposing political party, the, the person with the opposite color of skin, sadly. Who's your enemy? Maybe it's another, gen, another gender. For some of us, it's it's the opposing team. Steeler fans, I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But I don't know. There's some people who and get pretty riled up at soccer games. People have died at soccer games. But let's get a little more personal. Think about maybe <clears throat> some enemies you have that are a little closer to home. Could be a coworker. Could be a boss. Could be a friend or someone that used to be a friend could be a religious or spiritual leader or a former church community that you were a part of could be could be someone inside your family a little closer that's hard I don't want you to force anything but I just want you to be able to notice in name, who are my enemies? And the second harder question is, what are you doing, or what are you willing to do, or what are you open to doing to love them in such a way that they are no longer your enemies? even if it costs you, even if it's risky. Now, this is just an invitation. For some of you today, this might just be a wake-up call like, oh, wow, maybe I'm not as far along as I thought I was. You may not be ready, but if you want to grow and if you want to mature and to become like your Father in heaven, and if you want the freedom in your heart to be able to, you know, stand for what's right, but not from a place of hatred or violence or anger or bitterness, if you do that, you won't make it. But if you're willing from a place of bold, self sacrificial, cross shaped love to do that, I promise you some radical, beautiful things will happen in your life and in the life of your enemies. I want to say to you, friends, this is why we need the body of Christ, the community. I need encouragement. I need help. I need reminding. What does it mean to be perfect as our Father is perfect? What is the end goal? Where is this going? Now, as we close, I want you to just reach under your chair or by your chair and grab your communion element because this is a great place to start. At the The Lord's table. Amen? And I want you to... um, You know, I I do a lot of weddings. I just did a wedding last weekend. And and, um, my favorite part of the wedding is to be with the the bride and groom and, and give them communion. Because, you know, I just tell them, guys... This is the table you have to come to again and again and again in order to receive the grace to be forgiven and receive the grace to forgive. And so that's true for us all in the room today. We come to this table this morning to remind us of who God is, to remind us of his great love for us, and to remind us that when we put our hope and our trust in that great love, Brooke had that beautiful word, man. Trust creates peace. Wow. If you will trust God with your friends and your family and your enemies, friends. Watch what peace begins to manifest. I had this this morning in early morning prayer, I had a simple I had this picture of some, someone holding the gun with a trigger pulled back. And then I was thinking just about how this particular sermon could create triggers for people. And then in the service that this morning during worship, it kind of expanded, and I, I, I saw like a whole room full of people with their guns cocked, right, like, pointing at their enemies, not even sure who their enemies necessarily were. So there was a lot of this going on, you know, and you know, those great movie scenes where, you know, the hero is standing in front of a pointed gun and, you know, he slowly walks up to the person and he may be saying some words of comfort or whatever it is. And he puts his hand on their hand and slowly helps them uncock that gun and put the gun away and you know all is well and they ride off together in the sunset right beautiful scene you, you know what I'm you know what scene I'm talking about right <laughs> and, I, and I was I was like Lord, you know what's this about and I, I felt like he said man I I took the bullet I took the bullet you know you don't you don't have to point your gun at your enemies you know you don't have to be triggered. You don't, you know, let I just feel like Jesus wants to just say, "Hey guys, I got this. Let's let's just let's just put that away." <laughs> All right? There's there's a there's a better way. There's another way. So Lord, I want to say thank you on the night that you were betrayed. You were betrayed by a friend who became an enemy. And yet, Jesus, you died for him. You gave your life for him. And so in this moment, in our hour of need and need of grace, Lord, we come to you and we thank you. Go ahead and take the bread. You can go ahead and break that bread open. Get your cup. This is the awkward moment of preparation for self serve communion. Yeah, I got it. I think so. All right, here we go. Got it. Yeah. All right. So, Lord, we thank you for your body that was bruised our iniquities you were bruised Lord by your enemies we thank you Lord for your cup it represents your blood you initiated inaugurated a new way a new covenant a new way of relating not only to you but to everyone else on the planet and so Lord we thank you we ask you Holy Spirit Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You may take the bread and the cup. All right, let's stand together. God bless you thank you. Go and love your enemies well, friends. God bless.